Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indie. You've got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck finding a publisher and more remember it's discord.gg slash indie game business hey what's up everybody i'm indy that guy way over there that's jay and we have paul in the middle and this is indie game business paul is from fail better games and today Hello. we are talking about well, better games and updating your indie game after it's after its launch. Yes, the timely question that actually came up last show about should you be planning for post-launch content if you're doing just a regular single-player game? And we said yes. And yes. then our friend Hannah reached out and said, "Hey, we should do a thing about it." And I'm like, "Yes, let's do it today." So yeah, Paul and and Hannah and the folks at Feel Better just released a massive update for Sunless Guys. And so we're going to be talking about that and we're going to be talking about why it's important that they do it and how they do it and all of that sort of good stuff. So, Paul, welcome to the Madhouse. Welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. Hi, yeah, it's great to be here. All right, so we're going to start with our, our always first question and, and we've got Hannah's, you know, answer on all this and so now it's your turn. Uh-huh. Tell us how you got into the industry originally and and walk us through your your career and how you got to where you are now wow career okay um well i was a journalist for years um i got into the industry more or less by accident um i uh i co-founded fail better with um with another guy i was drawing the pictures and he was doing the words just because um I was if I was a freelance uh, reporter at the time, and I was bored and having a bad time. And the idea of drawing pictures for a living seemed like fun. Um, and we never thought it would make any money. Um, uh, but we ended up making a browser game called Fall in London, um, which is kind of like mostly text with little pictures, um, kind of somewhere between choose your own adventure and RPG. Um, and it, it kind of grew and got larger and larger. And it's I don't know, it's bigger than war and peace now um, <laughs> and still running um so i mean this is kind of the only industry job i've ever had i've, I've not sort of you know gone around the um the sort of the triple a roundabout um but then uh we decided to uh to make a move into making a pc game because we had this big law filled universe uh but we wanted to sort of get players into it on a you know on a more movement basis um so we we went to kickstarter and we uh pitched a game called sunless sea uh which was same universe but on an underground ocean and you had a little steam trips basically uh, basically sort of uh, elite with steamships uh so you'd sail around in your little top-down boat um uh, and having adventures and fighting off giant crabs and sentient icebergs and um and then arriving at port and playing these stories which were uh, interactive fiction um uh, and it was, you know, it was quite hard. It was, uh, it was quite grim. Uh, survival and roguelikes were very, um, were very big at the time, and we kind of leaned into that. But we wanted to make like a narrative roguelike, uh, so your progress would be reset if you died, but um, but you were playing through a sort of a long and complex story. Um, and death was a big thing. Cannibalism was a big thing. Uh, lose your mind, eat your crew was our tagline. Um, and eating your crew was pretty much inevitable unless you were very good at it. Um, so yeah, that was on the sea. That did really well for us. Um, and then we wanted to uh, make a new game, and we didn't want to do Sun the Sea two because it just didn't seem to be much point. Um, but we didn't want to 
go wildly out of our comfort zone. We're a very small studio. Um, so we decided to move the setting up to uh, the heavens, as they were called. It's a space setting, but it's not space as you would understand it from, like, you know, 2001 or, um, I don't know, Babylon 5 or whatever. Uh, it's more like what the Victorians might have imagined space to be like if they were really high. Um, <laughs> Which they were, so. Yeah, yeah a lot of the time. <laughs> so high. Um, uh, so we kind of. Yeah, that was our starting point. What would they have imagined it to be? Um, so we read a lot of uh, like period science fiction. Um, you know, H.G. Wells and Jules Verne and C.S. Lewis, people like that. Uh, and imaginations of space before we actually landed on the moon and discovered just how boring it really was. Um, and they had wild ideas. They had crazy stuff. You know, H.G. Uh, Wells' moon is covered in sentient fungus and has giant farmable maggots. Um, C.S. Lewis's astronauts tend to be naked for reasons I forget. Um, but yeah, they have their little weight belts uh, to keep them on the ground, but otherwise they're just, they're just letting it all hang out. It's very un-Victorian of them. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's the world we ended up building. It's just, it's really weird. It's sort of foggy and windy. It's space, but you can survive in it for like 15 minutes or so if you've got a nice uh, sky suit. Um, and there are monsters and tentacles and uh, devils and rubbery men and, and all the sort of stuff we've become known for. All right. So when you're sitting down and you're doing pre-production and design meetings and, and it's like, okay, we're going to do this, this roguelike narrative game on the ocean and, and we're going to do a roguelike narrative game in space. Who is the one in the room that keeps popping up and going, but with trains? <laughs> uh but with trains was chris i think uh yeah no very specifically um because he's 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 he's, he's, a, he's a train fan um we we were stuck with this whole idea of how do you do victorian spaceships because you know the tech just wasn't there um and we said well you know what was the tech of the time uh, and, you know, the sort of the, the height of industry at that point was the railway network and, you know, Isambar Kingdom Brunel and all that lot. Um, so we figured that could be adapted. I mean, this is, you know, this is the official answer. The real answer is trains are cool, man. They are cool. And trains in space are just, like, super cool. So... The trains in space! Yeah, I mean, you know, once, once the idea had been expressed verbally, everybody was like, yeah, that's what we've got to do. Um, so it just, it just sort of grew from there, really. Um, I mean, it could have been a lot, we didn't, we, I think we were wise not to lean too hard into how trains actually work. You know, if we'd given them multiple carriages and, uh, you know, rail, rails to ride on and everything, it would have been a very different and strange game. Um, so they're kind of, they're not trains really, they're spaceships, but they look like trains. Right, I it's, mean, it's, it's the it's, train from Transformers. It could have been, it could have been uh, sure. um, horses and in carriages. You know, that would have been that, weird. Yeah, I mean, that's really mean to the horses, though. Yeah, so. but then we'd have to have naked horses with weight belts, and so you know, it would it would get they a little. They could just have like big round round fish tanks over their head or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm making notes. This sounds great. Right here you go. <laughs> that's your new game: horses in space, in fish balls. Yeah. Mm. Okay. All right, so. The game launched months ago, and I, I know this because we had Hannah on the show then to talk about the community management and, and how she attacked that whole side of the, the launch and all, all of that kind of good stuff. But yeah. walk us through, you know, what's in the update, you know, why is it important for developers to, to start planning for this early on and, and have this ongoing content? And then, you know, walk us through what you've got new in the game itself. And while we're doing okay. that, I'm, probably, I'm just going to pull the game up and play a little bit. Yeah, let's see some. Um, I've got lots of reasons. I super mean, top secret saves here that somebody gave me. <laughs> oh, I think we put oh, you in Albion so you can see the new reason. No fair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> actually the first time I've seen your face, and I, I thought I was winning the beard contest, but I've actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not. It's the purple. But you do know now that as long as you can outgrow him, you're good because you know, <laughs> he's at max length right Yeah, now. but there's the whole color thing. I mean, I can't compete with that. Uh, what was I talking about? Yeah, uh, updates. Um, well, first of all, I mean, um, I mean, no game is ever done. Um, 
and there's always more you want to put in. Um, and also, you tend to learn how to make a game while you're making it. Um, I mean, if you're making a game you've made ten times before, like part of a franchise, it's different. But uh, each of the games we've made has been a sort of a step up in complexity and design and tech than the one we've made before. So over the course of uh, creating it, we get to like three quarters of the way through the game and we're like, oh, okay, now we understand how to make this thing. Uh, but then by, the, by that time, you've made three quarters of it. So you're always going back and going, oh, can we adjust this? And, uh, I mean, quite late in development, we went back to the first major region and just redesigned the whole thing uh, with the lessons that we'd learned um, from later stuff. And that, you know, that proved, uh, that proved to be worth it, although it made things a bit tight. Um, so that was part of it. Uh, we wanted to improve things. We wanted to add things. There were things we hadn't had time to put in. Um, but a lot of it, I think, is about um, the nature of the game community um, from the start, because this was a kickstarted game. Uh, it was in early access for like um, a year and a half. Uh, so we have a big community of people who um, who've been really, really helping us out, who've been giving us, you know, uh, feedback and encouragement, who've been playing new builds and sending us, you know, bug reports. Um, and these these people are really invested in, in the stuff we make, which is, you know, really lovely and humbling. And, um, and because the game was successful, uh, it gives us a bit of um, a, a bit of a runway. Uh, so the first thing we wanted to do was say, you know, here is more. Uh, here are some improvements. Here are things that you've been asking us for. Um, and here are some of the ideas that we really wanted to get and hadn't had time. Um, so, yeah, part of it's about um, giving back, uh, cliche as that might sound. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's just, the, I mean, the production of games has changed so much in the last 10 years. Um, the idea of a game even a single player one like this one uh, being released and then everybody just walking away, you know, like it's the end of a theater show or something, you go and you rehearse the next one. Uh, it doesn't just doesn't really work like that anymore because there's a conversation around it. Um, I mean, you look at No Man's Sky. Um, extraordinary, the sort of uh, the depth of commitment they've had to update that game and change it and bring it around to the vision they wanted to have it for in the first place. Um, and that's, you know, it's paid off for them. I don't think they've. Uh, I don't think they've uh, even done like paid DLC. Um, but they oh, still. Yeah. You know, every time yeah. they do an update, it shoots back to the top of the charts, um, and everyone's talking about it. And you know. So I think it's imp it's important from that point of view as well. It's important uh, as developers to show that we're you know we're committed to the thing we do, and it's fun. We're not done making this thing. I mean, uh, oh God, so many things I want to add to it. So many things. So how often do you do you plan on releasing new content? Um, I couldn't say exactly. It's kind of a done when it's done thing. I think we'll certainly do another major update, another free one, um, <laughs> uh, and we'll just we're going to keep assessing as we go. We very much like to do um, like a large scale paid expansion as well. Um, not perhaps as large as the last one we did because that was insane, but still, um, you know, still hefty. Not like horse armor. We're talking, you know, um, large changes, you know, new areas, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's you know, people are playing it, people are liking it. People, uh, we want to keep making it for now. So, I know, and, and it's true because the, the update just went live yesterday. But yeah, how much do you? expect or how much have you seen already because obviously steam does these updates automatically mm. how much do you forecast seeing in upticks in players coming back and do you have any thoughts or, or insights or you know experience on how many new people this might bring to the game i don't know i think this one's quite um this one's quite focused on improving it for existing players um in, in another update, we might sort of uh, we might push it further on the new player angle, but a lot of this is about uh, addressing some of the sort of perceived um, perceived problems with the game, as well as you know adding new content. Uh, we wanted to fo this this update's focus very much on making the moment to moment experience of uh, traveling around in space, uh, like you can see happening there, uh, just more interesting. Um, so it's kind of a sort of mid gamey. Um, 
update in some ways. Uh, the biggest sort of single change is that the entire second region has been designed. Sorry, I got my hands in front of me. Um, so that's a region you wouldn't immediately see if you picked up the game for the first time. So, um, all right, I've been playing the game for the first time, you know, over the last week or so. So you start in the, I forget what it's called. The Reach. The Reach, yeah. Dream and then there's that one teleport that goes to the to the ocean area. But how do you get to Albion? Not that I'm asking because I have to get something to London and I don't know where Albion is at all. But so would you say it's the second area? How How is it? How do you get there from the first area? From new players? Uh, you have to find a thing called a transit relay, which is a, like a Victorian Stargate, <laughs> basically, um, which has this amazing little animation with sort of jiggly lines and stuff. And, um, and you have to pay a toll, I think, although it's fairly light. Um, and then it'll just dump you there. Um, so it's kind of, I mean, when I say second region, it's sort of the second region in terms of difficulty, I guess. Um, you can basically visit um, any of them at any time once you've sort of you've uh, you've amassed a bit of cash and some resources, but it's not really recommended. Uh, it's like you know, it's the Dark Souls thing of do you turn left or right? Uh, you turn right and you get completely destroyed by skeletons. Um, <laughs> so you can, for instance, go to Eletheria, the third region. Uh, but if you go there in your starter ship, you're going to have a hard time. Um, and if you go to the Blue Kingdom in your starter ship, then well, I just wouldn't really. Uh, well, see, that's good fun. to know. I haven't tried it yet, but you know. <laughs> so, you know, for players that that have played a lot, you know, mm. are there changes to end game? Are there changes to characters that they've already met? You know, how has the game evolved with this? Loads. Um, yeah, I mean, there's tons of new content. Um, so we've got a whole bunch of things. Um, one of the well, the major one of the major sort of content changes is we've added a bunch of stories about the gods of the sky which are these uh, these sort of three entities that you can encounter in various ways on your vessel. So there's the Waste Waif, which is the sort of frozen child god, and uh, the Storm That Speaks and the Burrower Below, which are these sort of weird sort of Lovecraftian creatures who you can uh, who can have some influence on, on your vessel um, and can do terrible things to you, and usually do terrible things to you. Very occasionally they'll be nice to you, but we're generally not about nice things happening to players. That's just not our thing. Um, we like to uh, <laughs> failure and distress and unhappiness is just generally more interesting in games uh, for us. So it's usually about you know how long it will last before you have to sort of munch on your the femur of your final crew member. Um, so we've got the god stuff. We've got um, a form of critical damage, I guess you'd say. Uh, it's not like oh bang you scored a crit, but uh, if you are in a fight. You might find um, after that fight is over, you'll get a story pop up saying you've got like a shell lodged in your hull uh, and it hasn't exploded yet, and you better go import and sort it out. Um, and some uh, some of our nastier beasties might have uh, weird effects on you if you have an unsuccessful fight with them. So you might find that you have a, an unwelcome uh, visitor at some point. Um, so we got that. Uh, we have a thing called officer secondments, which uh, which is really fun. We have uh, you can collect um, officers on your travels. They're kind of like a, uh, like a party. So you have a first officer and you have a, um, you have a quartermaster and uh, and so on. Uh, and they all have stories. Um, uh, and we've added a thing where you can now, on some cases, you can dump them off uh, and let them get on with the job and come back and see them later. Just kind of like how uh, I dumped the princess off and she just opened a salon or whatever she opened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, I mean, I, I, I hope this isn't giving too much away, but uh, one of the officers you can recruit in the game uh, is actually your aunt, uh, who is a, a formidable lady, very inconvenient, um, but makes, makes a mean scorn. And, um, you can drop her off, I think, at the, uh, at the floating parliament, which is our, our equivalent of the regular parliament. Uh, where she discovers that she uh, she was in fact a lord once upon a time, or a lady, I suppose. Uh, so she can go off and influence government there. So there's lots of uh, lots of those. Um, what else? I mean, the the visual update obviously is massive, um, and we've changed the uh, the layout of the region as well, not just uh, the visuals. Uh, so there's a lot more like level design going on than there was, because uh, it was a very open space. 
the first region is very tight is very um enclosed and oppressive and you know it was meant to be that way uh but then you got to albion and it was very very wide open and we felt it was a bit too wide open and we wanted to curate that space a bit more um so it's not not as enclosed as the first region but there's more of a sense of uh, navigation so how far how long have you all been planning on on this content patch and you know along with that like you said you know games are never done now but at the same mm -hmm. time at some point you have to ship so yeah. when you're going through the process how did y'all decide where to draw the line and then where to start working on the next round um well like everything else we had a big old spreadsheet um Google and, <laughs> you know and there was a line uh and stuff above that line would make it in before ship and some stuff below that line was well okay we'll try and do that later um and everything that was essential to make the game you know what we wanted it to be was above the line and you know part of the reason we came in a few months late was we wanted to get everything above the line we wanted to get it right um but then additional fun stuff, you know, the gods of the sky, sending your officers off, uh, critical damage, other things that I'm not going to tell you about. Uh, these are things that were not, you know, essential to um, uh, the vision of the game, but uh, but we'd had a lot of fun. Um, and then we added stuff, because obviously the first thing you do when you put the game out, uh, I mean, you've had people playing it in early access, but suddenly you have uh, 100 times more beta testers than you had before as it were um uh, and they're they're finding stuff you haven't found they're finding stuff that you uh that you have found but you haven't been able to do anything about and they're making you know they're, they're playing the game uh just for hours and hours and hours and discovering you know new things and new ideas um and areas where it's strong and areas where it's weak and so obviously we spend a lot of time listening to that and reading the forums and talking to people so um so, you know, I mean, a lot of the update content is focused on, I guess it's 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 a split between focusing on what we consider to be the issues of the game as it stands and with stuff that we just really want to do and we think um, sounds cool. So is, in identifying those areas, is it strictly a listening to the community and, and forums and, and Discord and all of that? Or are there analytics packages that you all use to help find, okay, well, nobody's buying this upgrade and, you know, people aren't seeming to find this, you know, dot, you know, how do you go about, you know, identifying those, those areas? I mean, we're quite old fashioned about it. I think we tend to listen and, um, and read comments and, and we have, we do a lot of QA. Uh, and we pay close attention to the bug reports that come up again and again. Uh, we don't do much in the way of analytics at the moment. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Um, but what we do is we, we watch a lot of streams because uh, that is just a, a great way of telling what people like and what they don't, um, and what they you know what they immediately grasp and what they don't, uh, which is a really important thing, particularly as you're sort of getting to the end of early access and starting to think about tutorials and so on. Um, so yeah, I mean it's. Uh, you know, there's like 11 of us, I think. Uh, so we don't have a, a huge sort of analytics package and we're not sort of going on metrics and things. We're just, we're watching the game on streams. We're reading the forums, we're reading the comments, we're reading the bug posts. Um, and we're sitting down and saying, okay, well, so-and-so said this. See, if, uh, if we always talk about how, you know, streaming and, uh, you know, the influencers have changed the marketing side of the industry and how... No. It, Everything is much less focused on, you know, making sure that you have a reviewer in a review in whatever magazine or, or website it is. Yeah. But the thing that we that a lot of people don't catch up on is exactly what you just said. It's using streamers and Twitch and YouTube as a way of basically focus testing, which, you know, for years we paid consulting firms and focus testing experts or you know i remember back 10 years ago we would sit down and have a focus tester play a game and they had a video on there and we were live streaming that video to 
our office in North Carolina and the publisher's office in Seattle and the developer's office in Kiev. And we're watching for the things that you just mentioned that you can see with a streamer now. And so yeah. it, it, it's fascinating to me that it has opened up. Focus testing is so important, but indie teams haven't been able to do it for years outside of you know friends and family or, or local folks or you know, things like that. And now there's a wonderful focus testing resource right here in front of all of us. Yeah, and you've got also, I mean, not just the streamer playing it, but the audience reaction. And you can see what they're into and what they're not. Uh, I mean, it can be agonizing just in the way that focus testing is agonizing. Um, or reading reviews uh, can be agonizing. Yeah. I mean, an example, um, <laughs> this actually came up in a, at a show we went to, but it's the same sort of principle. Um, before we, um, we did the tutorial really late, because you do. Um, and before that, we had a sort of non-tutorial tutorial, which was just a page of text. And it just said, uh, okay, so here is what your guns do. Here is how you control. Here is how the stories work. These are your stats and so on and so forth. And it just sat there in the corner of the screen for you to, you know, theoretically for you to consult occasionally as you as you travel through the stars. Um, and what we found was that we were uh, we were sitting at this game show and somebody would sit down at the game and they would look at this tutorial and they'd go, ah, oh, okay. And then they spend the next 15 minutes just reading it point by point while their ship stayed in the dock. And we're just like, oh my God, this is like, you know, this is not the experience you're supposed to be having. Um, I mean, you know, we always knew we were going to get rid of that. So that was not so serious, but we didn't expect people to be so, um, you know, so obedient, I guess. It's like, oh, here's a tutorial. Please ignore it. No, no, I will read the whole thing. I want to understand this game before I play it. Um, <laughs> That's my college roommate's way of playing games. I'm the other guy. I'm the, what do you mean? How do you fire? It's in the tutorial, Jay. Well, I skipped all that shit. I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm plowing ahead and playing the game first. And, you know, fair enough. And the game should allow for that. Um, I, you know, if a, if a game requires you to pay close attention to all this tutorializing, uh, then you're going to have players who don't. And if they have a lousy time, then I think that's on the game. So Basterni has a question. This is, and, and Hannah's going to chime in as well. Has streaming made internal alpha and beta testing help cut the pains and costs of internal testing enough to affect the budgets positively as a whole? Well, I think Hannah's answering that, but look at it. So, I mean, I could read out what you're saying. Um, it's helped the writers. Yeah, that's true. Chris, hey, Bass, just... how's it going? I was just saying hi. Hey. <laughs> How are you doing over there? I've not. I've, I've. I've. I've got two screens here, and I'm. You're still alive, so that's that's good. I'm just trying yeah, to kill Andy myself. Andy has trouble parking. That's what I've been watching. You're fat so. and old. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. They gave you the nicest ship in the in the save. I said. You've got the Moloch, which is the devil-designed locomotive. I, I already killed somebody. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up on the question. So you know, Hannah says it's most usefully. It, it's helped the writers a lot. Yeah. So how do you handle internal alpha beta testing with streaming? You know, is it, do you give early access to streamers or how, how do you handle that internally? And I'm going to let you answer while my um, assistant is now at the window wanting to come in. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, uh, we have relationships with a couple of streamers um, who sort of play our stuff pretty regularly. Um, and obviously we're always open to lots of streamers playing at launch um, because the game's early access um, it's available to be streamed basically we can't actually you know even if we wanted to we can't stop people streaming a game if they can buy it on Steam right um, uh, so you know we're just always grateful to see somebody going oh I'm um, I didn't you know honestly uh, for the longest time I didn't understand streaming uh, I get it now, but I'm, I'm really, really old, you know. Do you watch sports? Uh, no, never. Well, you know people that watch <laughs> sports, right? I'm, I'm aware that sports are things that are watched. Yeah, I, so it's, um, that's basically watching people play a game. That's... Yeah, no, I mean, I get it now. I do. Yeah. I, um, it took me a while to understand it, but I suddenly found that I was enthralled uh, by, you know, watching these incredibly sort of skilled playthroughs of games. Um, or unskilled. Which would be uh, my, yeah. uh, my forte. I, I, mean, I, I have a from weakness, so I, I'm, I'm always happy to watch, like, you know, uh, crazy Bloodborne playthroughs or whatever. Um, 
You did. And it's it's such a long form thing, which I think people weren't previously ready for. You know, I mean, where the sort of the unit of entertainment for watching was like the film. You know, it was two hours and you're done. Uh, whereas everybody is, you know, binge watching everything now. So the idea of sitting down for six hours to watch something is just not so alien anymore, I guess. All right. So along with that, and I don't know if Chris is in chat or not, but, you know, this is very much a narrative question here. And it's something that comes up a lot with with narrative and fairly linear games. And, and this isn't strictly a linear game, but there's a bit of linearity into it. Uh -huh. um, how does the streaming affect the narrative? I mean, are, are you concerned that stories are getting told and spoiled for lack of a better reason, you know, through streams or is that not so much an issue? Um, I don't know. Um, no, I don't know. I don't comma. No. Um, no, I don't think so. Cause there's just so much of it. Uh, if we, I mean, if we have a streamer getting to late game, you know, like where we're still in early access, uh, we might sort of politely ask if they could, you know, go easy on, on the massive spoilers. But honestly, there's just, there's, there's, there's so much content here. Um, and how streamers react to text in particular is really interesting. Uh, and not every streamer is going to sit there and read it, which is, you know, fair enough. Uh, some of them really get into it. Um, Cody, Excessive Presanti, who's streamed us before. Um, he likes to do the voices. Uh, oh, so, cool! <laughs> yeah, he's great. I mean, he'll say, he'll sail around and he'll do the you know he'll do the exploring and the fighting, survival. But then he'll get to a story and he'll be like, right, okay, uh, I'm going to read this to you in this wonderful mellifluous you know uh, audiobook voice, and it sort of turns into an ASMR channel. People love it, you know. Um, so that's great. I think um, I'm basically fine with the spoiler thing. I think. Uh, you know, the proportion of people who are watching the stream at the time all the way who are going to be spoiled, you know, intentionally uh, is not something to worry about. I think people if people are very concerned about spoilers, they'll turn it off. Fair enough. Um, I mean, it's weird doing a game in early access that is narrative, full stop. Um, and it's... Uh, it's not a problem we've entirely solved, I don't think. I think, you know, early, early access games tend to be systemic. Um, they tend to be about sort of sandbox systems and emergent gameplay and so on. Well, I mean, and I don't know that you you can solve it because what we see is you know situations like with Atlas and Persona Five, and they just basically ostracize a large amount of the of the viewers by saying, "Okay, you can't stream more than like five hours of this," and they made yeah. such a big deal about it that it backfired on them mm. you know and, and you know to be fair that's a much more linear game than this is because you know hannah's got a point you know she said there's eight hundred thousand words of stories in the game and there's yeah. so many different ways to go through it that each playthrough is unique and, and that's one of the things that i liked about the game it's you know when you die you're not necessarily starting over you're starting as the next captain of that ship and, yeah we did as much as we there. could with that and, and we'd like, well, I mean, I'd like to do more with that, honestly. Uh, it was a step forward from Sun the Sea, where uh, when you died, your progress was basically reset. Uh, you could carry on a legacy uh, to an ex-captain, which would give you some items and would help you out the next time. But the stories all basically started from the beginning again. Um, so, I mean, Skies, uh, some do, but quite a lot don't. Um, so, and for instance, if you've if you've taken if you've been through an officer story and they've evolved into a new officer, that new officer will be with you and the next captain. Um, and there is there are some stories that can only be played by a legacy of captains rather than just a singular one. Those are stories that go down through um, through a family. Um, the the, the eight hundred words hundred thousand words thing is, I mean, it's it's a big impressive number. I think what it, what it misses is that. I think people think of a story game as uh, story beat one, story beat two, story beat three, you know, in a, in a linear sequence. Uh, that's not how we do stuff at all. Um, these stories are all broken up into um, sort of discrete chunks, uh, little narrative chunks. Um, and it's curated to an extent, but you can basically tackle a lot of it in any order you like. Uh, so actually what happens is the story is told by the player 
between those chunks. So they arrive at a port, they do a thing, uh, they go and they sail off and they think about that, and then they do a second thing. Uh, and the story is is what happens in their minds between those two chunks. It's like how the story is the edit in the film. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, so I'm sorry. I'm entranced by the art. That's the next question I was going to, to go to because how, and, and I'm not an artist for God. I mean, I can draw stick people that sometimes look like stick people, but that's about the extent of it. Yeah. How did you go about creating all of these different layers? How many layers? I mean, because right there where India is, I can see like five or six levels of stuff. How yeah, do you, you go about doing that? Uh, I mean, it just takes ages. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like writing 800 words. We, have, we don't have a clever It just takes forever. <laughs> um, I mean, there is, yeah. Uh, we try, uh, I mean, there's a degree of, obviously there's a degree of repetition, um, but we try and keep stuff uh, on the layer closest to the player. The layer. Uh, as distinct as possible, as recognizable as possible. And then obviously as you descend through the mist, uh, things could be a little vaguer. Uh, although there are some surprises down there. We occasionally like to uh, put stuff down in the lower layers that people don't expect. Um, there is, you're right, there's about five or six layers there. And there's um, one of those layers is a skybox, which is also multi-layered. So that gives the whole sense of, of depth. Um, that was fun to do. I mean, when we did Sun the Sea, Sun the Sea is like one layer. It's the sea. Um, and we started doing this one. We're like, hey, it'd be let's do parallax. That'll be fun. Uh, a few months later, we're like, oh, okay, we have to build five times as much game this time. Um, so yeah, we're not in crunch. Just the art team is in crunch. <laughs> I mean, you know, art team. There's there's two of us. There was one of us for sky. Now sky uh, for C. Now there's two of us. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of work. So we had, are, we had, are there any? And I remember because I was fortunate enough. This is going to show how old I am and how long I've been doing this. But when Eve Online was about to launch, one of our clients was Simon & Schuster. And Simon & Schuster is the ones that ended up doing the physical distribution here in the U.S. when it launched. But they called me up to New York to say, we need somebody to come in here and sit and make sure this game isn't completely trash. And I loved it. But... One of the things that they mentioned or stuck with me all these years is when they started getting around to the nebulas and, and all of these fascinating, colorful parts of space, that was done on a Petri dish with stuff out of the refrigerator <laughs> and butter and, and mayonnaise or whatever and smeared together to create these. Fantastic. I love that old school stuff. Is, is there any of that in this? I mean, any tricks or uh, I mean, uh, more from the inspiration of the actual. Uh, I um, I spent a lot of time looking at cloud tanks. Do you remember? Uh, sort of like this was a big effect in the eighties. Uh, things like Close Encounters and um, Poltergeist have these amazing cloud tank effects, which are, you know, giant sort of revolving cloudscapes, and uh, and they're just done by dripping ink into a you know into an aquarium. Oh. Uh, and, and filming it in slow motion, and it's just such a lovely old school effect, and we wanted to try and reproduce that. Um, is this yeah, is I mean, any of this stuff in 3D or is it all just 2D? It's all 2D. Uh, the well, there's a couple of tiny bits of 3D, um, just uh, for specific effects, but uh, most of it is is 2D. It's an orthographic camera. Um, it isn't even uh, they they're not even 3D separated. They're all actually you know, as far as the camera is concerned, on the same layer. There's just maths uh, doing the parallax. Um, which makes it quite hard to build, <laughs> but um, so I don't know. Maybe we should maybe we should do it in three D next time. But I think well, then, you know the effect is nice. Then you're going to have people diving through the you know wanting to dive through to the next layer and, and yeah, and then, all, yeah. All of that then you're going to have to be like, well, this stuff needs to rotate. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then so what direction does this stuff need to rotate? And is it rotating randomly? Is it? No. I mean, we 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 just. Uh, I mean, we might do it one day. We're just not set up for it at the moment. Um, we've got a, you know, a pretty good two D pipeline. Yeah. Um, we don't have any kind of three D pipeline really. Um, so I'm not. So I mean, I've I've been uh, Toby and I. Toby Toby's um, our artist. Toby and I have been looking at two um, uh, D games that use three D lately. 
uh, and that use it beautifully. Uh, Hollow Knight, for instance, is a you know very much a two D game, but it's actually set up on a three D plane. Uh, so if you swing the camera around, which you can't do in the but uh, it has this appearance of a like an old school theatre set, like a sort of Tim Burton pantomime or something. Uh, and you can see all these little bits of set dressing going back layer by layer. It's such a beautiful thing, and probably a lot easier to make. So maybe we'd look at that next time. Oh, you're, coming, you're coming up on one of our a big 3D, a uh, big parallax set pieces actually. Uh, that's the Clockwork Sun there. Yeah. If you uh, if you can actually go into the middle of it without dying, I think. Uh, so you could get an idea of what we do when we really go nuts with the parallax. All right, let's go in the middle. Yeah, do it. I don't think anything nasty will happen to you. I might smack, smack. I just totally get smacked around. <laughs> oh, yeah, flying into a sun is always safe. That's, yeah, that's... no, how bad could it be? So yeah, a lot going on in this one. There's a lot of layers, uh, and I think right at the center of it, that is a like a flipbook animation. That's a, a frame animation. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it took a long time to make that one. Toby made that. It's amazing. You oh, seem to be alive, although I'm going to guess your terror's going up pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, I'm blinking red. <laughs> <laughs> you know, flying into a sun and all that. Yeah. All right, so let's put Hannah on the spot real quick. Cool. How are you going out, and, and aside from, obviously, your Steam page, which says, hey, there's an update, and here's everything on there, how are you getting the word out to, to you know, fans, to new fans, to, you know, the community in general, not only to inform your existing players that there's all this new cool stuff, but, you know, also tell the people who haven't bought it yet that, you know, hey, look, here's this, we're still working on this. This isn't some kind of game we've, you know, just abandoned. So how, how are you approaching that aspect of it? A robust outreach system. Is that, is that Google Docs? <laughs> We're going to make her type a whole lot of stuff now. Yeah. yeah. Spreadsheets. Yep. Spreadsheets. Yeah. The secret development tool. Seriously. Everything is spreadsheets. She, she told me that. Them. All right. Is that an email? All right. So, Hannah, is that of influencers and media or is that players or both? The 400K is players, I think. Uh, but we obviously we have press lists and influencer lists as well. Oh, no. oh, yeah, 400 million. I'm going to say 400K press, that would be impressive. I'm not sure there are 400K press. That's everybody. That's, you just hit literally everybody. That's so. Woodward and Bernstein on down. She she told me last week that she had a, a community outreach ecosystem, which I thought was like one of the most unique words to describe it possible. Oh, I like the sound of that. I'm not... 100% sure what it means. I'd have to ask. <laughs> Sorry. So, um, I mean, it's, it, but Hannah, frankly, I mean, to, to be blunt, you're spending a lot of time going and, and doing outreach just like you did with the, you know, original game. You're yeah. doing it all over again for, for the content update. Yeah. And because the community is a really big deal and it's kind of, it's, I mean, it makes us sound like, oh, look, we're so nice talking to you, but it's good for us, you know? I mean, if they're engaged, then they're interested in our game and they're telling other people about our games. Um, and they're playing them and telling us what's wrong with them and what's right with them. So, uh, and every time somebody, you know, new picks up the game and likes it and pops onto a Discord or a forum and says, oh, hey, what's going on? How do I defeat this ridiculous monster? Um, then that's, you know, that's another member of the community. And, uh, and they have a whole... It's quite nice. A lot of new people have come to play Skies who've never, never heard of us before, um, and that's cool for them because if they're into the lore and the uh, and the world behind it, there is a giant backlog of stuff for them to discover. Um, you know, they can go back and they can play Sun the Sea, and there's a lot there, and they can London and just a ludicrous amount there. Um, so you can sort of discover this whole story backwards. We do quite a lot of um, store of secret revealing in Sun the Skies. Uh, but some of the things that are like a given in Skies were some of the greatest mysteries in Fallen London. So you can sort of trace back how it all worked. There's it's levels a, and levels of secrets. Yes, a, a definite big shout out to all of our friends on, on Steam who are watching this. Uh, 
Hannah, why don't you pop up the discords that you mentioned so folks that are seeing it can go and join in and, and all that kind of good stuff too. Well, the, and I had, I had another not question. not going to be able to see our Twitch chat. Oh, uh, well, Twitch can see our Twitch chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should have been reading it out for the Steam They'll just have mysterious silences every now and then. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's something. And we can do that at the same time, too. It always gets, this is where I always get you know, distracted when I'm reading and I'm not doing doing these things. So what Hannah said, for those of you who can't see what she's saying, is, you know, they do have a really deep, robust outreach system. You know, lots of spreadsheets. There's an email list of 400,000 players that they go out to. And then they also follow up with the forums on Steam and their own forums there's two discords and a press list of influencers that's, you know, 400 deep on that side too. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we're doing is this like, you know, I want to call it a special episode, but it's not, this is the stuff we love talking about anyway. Um, so they're taking our Twitch stream and it's going to be on, you know, their steam page. Uh, so when players go and, and look at it, you know, there's auto, there's this video, already there and, and talking about it so um but the point that she makes that i really want to call out is marketing happens all the time and it's the same yeah. with business and it's the same you know what we preach here constantly it's you know you can't take your foot off the pedal whether you're talking to your community or you're you know making sure that you've got new revenue coming in so um it's like they say in, in Armageddon, there's pretty much a room of people just thinking shit up all the time. And yeah. Do you, do you have that room over there? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're pretty evangelical about this, I think, because uh, it's a kind of, it's a truism that, you know, indie indie games development doesn't have marketing or that you get to the, you finish your game and you go, oh, how do I market? That's less true than it used to be, but um, thinking about no, it right It's still off, very, yeah, very it's true. Very, 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 yeah. <laughs> It's there's so um, many devs that are just like we made this game and now we want to market it. How do we do that? Yeah, after it's I mean, released I mean, on Steam, it's a it's a crueler world out there now um, on Steam, especially um, you know with like 200 games getting released a week, and you can't rely uh, on just shouting about it at the week of release. Uh, most of the time, you can't even rely on it just being good. Mm. Um, You've got to be out there, and particularly if you do. I mean, it's it's unusual for us because you know, again, Kickstarter early access. We've been talking to the players from the day we started. You know, we built the first scene in Unity. Um, but even if you're not doing that, even if you're, um, you know, if you even if you're top secret development done when it's done, you know, ID software style, uh, it software ID software. I don't know. Um, you need to be telling people about what's coming. Uh, and getting them interested, and uh, and just you know standing out from the crowd, really build that hype. Yeah, it's yeah, and I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Hype kind of sounds pejorative. It kind of sounds uh, down. Um, I think a lot of it for us is just about uh, just talking to people and being honest and saying, look, this is what's coming. Uh, this is where we're having problems. Uh, what do you think about this? Um, and you know, and taking that on board. If you have an open relationship with with your community, it's it's you know like any relationship. If you um, if you're sort of honest and as open as you can be, then then you get much better results, I think. Right, and standing out from the crowd—that is like a huge, huge, huge thing. And people are like, "Well, how do I stand out from the crowd?" And I'm like, "Okay, well, take ten other things, whether it be games or Twitter accounts or your streaming channel or whatever." Take yours and line it up in the middle of 10 other ones and see if yours stands out. Yeah. I mean, because it's like I a mean, lot of people. It helps will... if you've got a game, you know, that stands out as well, obviously. Yeah, but uh, I mean, still, it's if you have something, it's really in the way you present it. Because, like, you can present stuff on Twitter, line yourself up on other games that are similar and see, okay, so is, is, does, does my game stand out among this, you know? Am I out Absolutely. of that's and you nice. kind of never know what people are going to like. I mean, you can you can get an idea, um, but there are always. I mean, you look at the Steam sort of top charts. Regularly, there are just surprises there, and these are things that have grown up from sort of grassroots, um, from a lot of it from streaming. You know, from a stream picking up a game and saying, "Oh, hey, this is fun." Yeah. Um, 
and streamers talk to other streamers and streamers watch other streamers so if one is having a good time with the game then another one um and then you have these games arriving in the charts uh that you know the mainstream press hasn't talked about um it's because there's like, oh, so many of them what the hell is this everybody's playing it you know yeah. um what was the, the house decoration game you know um flipper or um no one knew that was going to be like suddenly a huge thing um but the people you know people were playing it and people were watching other people playing it so it's, it's a really big deal all right so well, ever like, since you mentioned the truck the driving that... ones like, yeah yeah, oh, yeah those are huge i was like i'm a they... truck driver in real life and then i come home and play the game truck driving <laughs> or i mean five nights at freddy's is an interesting one i think part of the reason that one is successful uh is because it's a really good game to stream because it's full of, uh, you know, it's full of surprises. And people can get really into it and get excited and shout and scream. Yep. Um, so, you know, and that means that, that stuff gets watched. You know. So you mentioned a minute ago that it's not just good enough to be good. And mm. that's one I immediately, that's why I've been staring so intently at my screen. I just saw an article uh, on Game Industry Wiz. I linked it in, in Twitch chat. And I, and I know our friends on steam can't see it but it's there um they called up and they were talking to rami ismail about you know the conversation that he had you know in a, in a panel at one of the shows with epic and mm -hmm. you know david seltzer said the cream always rises to the top at the end of the day if you make a crappy game then there are places where you can put crappy games and rami challenges that from the good game standpoint and it's something that i've always agreed in and i've always preached and i've got friends of mine who you know say no you're wrong a good game will always sell but it doesn't you know yeah. and he says people ask well isn't that a meritocracy and he says no it means the right person with a good game was in the right place at the right time with the right resources they say only the good games rise to the top and the games that rise to the top tend to be good but it doesn't mean a game that's good will automatically rise to the top. It's a combination of factors. And that yeah, yeah. is absolutely true. You know, yeah. you've got to, even when you're building on the success of a game like this, you've still got to make sure that you're, you know, talking to your fans and, and engaging the streamers and making sure that, you know, like your big Steam update had, you know, you've got the things in there that, are clear to the player on this is why I should come back. Yeah. This totally. is why I should start playing again. You can't make a great game. And then, you know, like Indy said, and it's not an exaggeration. I get about a request a month like this where someone comes to me and says, Hey, we've got our game and we're launching next week. What do we do about marketing? And, I, and I'm like, I don't know how to help you. Go back in that. time about six months. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Find a DeLorean, put a flux capacitor in it, and let's talk about your marketing plan. You have to constantly be building this stuff and constantly be working on it. It's, it's as important as the actual design of the game. And a lot of companies don't realize that. I think, I mean, a lot of people buy into the idea that, um, you know, the, uh, the game that took a solo developer five years will be an enormous success. Um, <clears throat> but there's confirmation bias there because those are the only ones you hear about. Yes. You know, the guys you're not hearing about who spent five years making a game that's genuinely brilliant that sold three copies, uh, and they're, you know, and they're now working in a photocopier factory or whatever. Um, those, you know, those are the majority, but we just, they're, they're not part of the story because they don't get the attention because no one's playing them. Um, there's too many things out there being released now that, you, you can't count on being found. Yeah. Yeah. Andy, that's, you that's... have the most unique combat strategy I have ever seen. Well, well I can't shoot. I killed oh. one of them. Are you out of bullets? I'm out of everything. My fuel's going down. This is it. I'm going to die. Oh, okay. I've lost the stream. Where have you gone? But I killed one ship. I killed the big one. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know you could run out of weapons. Slam him into the... Um... I'm trying. Yeah. I didn't know you could run out of bullets. Yeah, I don't have any. I guess I don't have a gun. Because it's not shooting. I, you ought to have a gun. I've lost you. I can't. I can't. Oh, there you go. All right. 
Yeah, see, I can't shoot. Maybe, maybe Hannah can help you. I can't actually see the stream. Um, I wonder if our internet's being troublesome. Flee! Run, Andy, run! Yeah. No! Running is, running is valid, really. You know, running is okay. No, I'm going to kill this guy. Discretion is the better part of valor. Oh, you go. I got you back. The crew is starving. <laughs> now you can eat them! Yeah, oh, keep at it. You should be able to eat a couple of them. They will eventually, you know, object to that. Just I don't so care. I, I'm evil. <laughs> I like to play games evil, so... A rupture. We I died. Oh, okay. So, oh, were, you, were you playing on Merciful, or are you now starting a oh, new... Oh, no, legacy? I was just... I, 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 I don't know. I was on easy... So, Paul, what's just your take favorite it part about the new, all the new content? Um, I mean, I got to say the pictures, haven't I? Because you know, you're um, <laughs> the art guy. You're the art guy. Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm also, I'm quietly excited about some small tweaks we've made to the survival stuff. Um, just uh, to make it a little bit more intense. So we have the stat in the game, which is terror. Um, and as that goes up, increasingly bad things start to happen to you. Uh, so this is not like a you know a big um, frontline feature change, but we've tweaked the numbers a bit um, because a lot of the soul of the game is in the idea of uh, you might die, but you generate a really good anecdote. Um, so you know you're limping back to port with one barrel of fuel, two remaining members of crew. Uh, and you're starting to have these increasingly horrifying nightmares because your terror is so high. Um, and your nightmares mean that you forget to feed the crew, or you lose some supplies, or you have to make a sec you have to make an offering to one of the gods of the sky to try and survive, which makes you terrorize more and so on. And you eventually, you know, you descend into a spiral of horror, and then you die. Uh, but by the time you die, you've got a story. Um, and that kind of that's the sweet spot where we operate, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I jettisoned some of my meager supplies at one point because Ooh, of the, don't, don't, don't do that. Yeah, see, I can't, <laughs> I can't shoot. It's like, oh, you weren't reading the columns right. It's like, well, I shouldn't be spreadsheeting this anyway. I'm the captain of my space train. Uh, <laughs> why, it does why? look like you actually don't have a gun equipped. I wonder, you might want to pop back to port and sort of stick one in a slot so you can shoot people. <clears throat> yeah, anyway, yeah, so... Yeah, we've tweaked the terror a bit, and we're curious. It's it's a very it's a very delicate balance. So we're keeping an eye on players and seeing how they do with it, because uh, we don't want everybody just suddenly descending immediately into madness, um, you know, in the first five minutes of the game. Uh, but at the same time, we don't want them to be sort of chugging along merrily without a care in the world. We want them on the cusp, basically, just you know, clinging to their sanity. Insanity is just die. a state of mind, so it's fine. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you are going to die, but it's it's fun when you die. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's not like it's oh my god, I have to start all over and, and do all of this stuff you know from scratch again. It's okay. Well, that was a little messed up, and now I'm going to you know change it up and, and try something different. So, and it's about extending the moment a little bit. So, like when you're starving, uh, the game doesn't just say, "Oh, hey, you starved to death." Try again. <laughs> oh yeah. By the way, you're uh, dead. it says, "Well, uh, you know, you've got a rabbit on board. Uh, you can eat that." Um, or you run out of fuel. Well, you know, you've got some you've got some cargo that you spent a huge amount of money on. Maybe you could burn that. Uh, or, you know, you could perhaps sacrifice a member of your crew or, you know, set fire to a member of your crew. That might that might get you through the sky a little bit longer. But of course all these uh, all these choices just sort of multiply into a really bad tale. Um, <laughs> you can you can pull yourself out of the spiral if you if if you're careful, but it's uh, it's difficult. I, I have no idea oh. how to put on a weapon. Are there, it, it, you know, we're we're closing in on time here. Are there any questions that the folks out there have? If you do, chime in. Let us know. Um, this is, I mean, it, it's fantastic. I mean, we, we we talk constantly about how you have to keep putting out content, and you know, we've got we've had the Trusay brothers on, and let me look at what level of content they're up to. Let me cheat and go to the Steam store, but they've done like hundreds of updates since they launched yeah you know, and, and so it, it's sorry which game was that 
Star Traders Frontiers. Oh, right. Um, they, I mean, but it, it, it is one of those things that, again, you can't simply release a game as a developer and then go, okay, now we're going to go do the other one. Go do another one. I mean, you yeah. you have to keep these things going. And part of the reason you have to do that is because that long tail of sales that we used to have five, ten years ago doesn't exist anymore because there's so much new stuff constantly turning out and you're constantly churning players. So you want to bring your old players back to build that excitement to get new players to come in and create this, you know, self-fulfilling wheel. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. I mean, the other thing is that you, a lot of, um, a lot of players, because there's so much content now, because there's so many games, uh, they'll look at what's new on the Steam page and they'll go, yeah, okay, I'll wish this, that, and then when it's on sale, maybe I'll get it. Uh, or when the reviews are out, maybe I'll get it. When they've had a year to patch it, maybe I'll get it, whatever. Um, so there's, there are a lot of people out there who want to play your game, but haven't bought it yet because they were playing something else or because they are, you know, they're just waiting. Um, so it's kind of like an extension of early access in a way. Some people like to jump in immediately, excuse me, <clears throat> and some people want to wait for release day. So every time you say, okay, we've added this, that, and the other, uh, more people are going to be like, oh, okay, maybe it's time to get this a go. Um, but, and that's a good point too, because you know you can't dismiss the beauty of the Steam wish list. You know, and it, this is yeah. something that you know when we look at, at Discord Store and Epic Store and, and all of these other stores that are popping up, you know, they don't have that feature in there yet. But it's a, in many ways, highly underrated feature of Steam because every time you do an update, everybody on that wish list gets an email. Yeah. And that is absolute 100% free marketing. And it's key. Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah. yeah it's very useful. I mean, the, relate, you know, the, the, the ratio between the people who wishlist the game and the people you buy your game is, is, is large, uh, the difference. But, um, but it's a very good idea of, you know, of who's interested and who's aware, which is the first thing. Um, so, it's, just, it's such a treat to get new stuff. I mean, I've got a big Steam library, and whenever it's like, Oh, you know, uh, Company of Heroes has done this, or uh, there's a new mode in Slay the Spire. I'm like, yeah, I'm into that. Yeah, uh, great. I didn't expect this. This is a treat. I, you know, I paid my money. I played the game. I thought I was done, but you just made more. That's fantastic. I love you. Um, so, what sort of ratio, if you know off the top of your head, what hmm. kind of ratio do you see in terms of people who wish list versus people who actually purchase the game? I don't have it on the top of my head. I'm really sorry, but it would be, you know, uh, it would be low <laughs> uh, as a general sort of. In well, I mean, um, I remember back in the day that we said it was anywhere between three to five percent of people who looked yeah. at something actually bought it or who picked up the demo actually converted it to the real. I mean, is that the level of low that we're looking at? Yeah, generally. Um, I mean, you can. It, it varies from game to game. Um, some, you know, some some will some will go higher. Some will be like ten you know, percent or whatever. But um, uh, yeah, it's 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 very variable. I'm actually I'm quietly slacking somebody to see if they can tell me. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting because that metric has not changed that much over the years, and again, it goes back to when we used to do, you know, the, the one-hour demo of a casual game on Big Fish, mm -hmm. and, and then the people that bought it. I mean, we knew if we got a hundred thousand downloads, we were going to get somewhere between three to five thousand sales. And yeah. then you know we move over to the free-to-play model, and you see the ratio of people who download and play a game versus the people that actually pay for something in the game is still in that three to five range. And so it's different business models, different platforms, different types of games, but that ratio doesn't fluctuate that much. Yeah. I mean, free-to-play, you also have whales, which is a weird concept, which skews everything. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, we, we, you know, Fallen London technically is a, is a free-to-play game, uh, but we don't sort of do trad free-to-play models. Um, we're very polite and very generous. We don't, we don't like, you know, uh, gouging people um, we have a subscription model uh, so I mean you can you can pay it's it's an action based system you, you can pay a tiny amount for extractions if you want to uh, 
Um, and then we have premium stories every month. Uh, that if you pay a subscription, you get an extra story, which is you know always done in depth. And so it's a nice, like yeah, like a magazine sub. It's a much more polite way of doing things. Yeah, it's um, like a battle pass. And it's, yeah. it's the subscription model has been around for a while, and yeah. people have been trying to figure out how to do it right. And then all of a sudden, Fortnite does it, and then everyone turns around and goes, "Oh, we should do subscription models." It's like, well, we've been doing subscription model for a long time. They yeah. just named it different, and that was, you know, so people weren't uh, into it, and then they were. Hannah's just messaged me to tell me that the new one to watch is publisher page follows. Apparently, so that's that's hot from the marketing horses. So, but, you know, Steam, you can do you can do your publisher page now. So I guess that's people who are invested in you, you know, as a company as well as uh, as just you know playing your game. I don't know. You can do that. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, uh, it's new. I mean, Steam, you should there should be a fair bit of page on Steam's that sort of gives you access to you know uh, developer updates and our games and so. Publishers forever changing. The landscape is forever changing. Well, all right, and so this is you know not to get off on a whole other subject, we could take another hour and a half to talk about, but this is exactly the type of stuff that we get when we start having competition in the market and yeah. you know for all of the bitching and the moaning that gamers are doing about you know xyz got pulled from steam and it's now on epic this is what it does this it gives you it creates a competition because frankly steam's been able to sit back on their laurels for 10 years 15 years and now yeah. it's like oh we have to do new stuff and you get things like this, so that's awesome. We've got to step yeah, up our I mean, game. It's, it's it's obviously it's a healthy thing. I mean, you know, Steam has been very good to us over the years, um, but I'm you know I'm glad to see new storefronts appearing, um, and you know, new 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 models. I mean, streaming and subscription services are going to become a thing. Obviously, sort of um, you know, platforms are multiplying, and it's. Uh, what will happen next? I don't know. <laughs> I've been doing this 20 years. It, it, what happens next is something that happened five years ago. It's a mm -hmm. matter of can you predict it that accurately because everything just goes in a cycle. Yeah, it'll be on live all over again, but the tech will this time. Exactly. Um, it was Stadia now is the thing, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. Well, that's, Paul, that's a weird thank one. You oh, sorry. So much for. for hey, welcome. This is awesome. Yeah. We love doing Absolute this. Absolute pleasure. I think Hannah's now talking about she wants to come up and do a follow-up episode about Steam publisher pages and all the crazy details there. So if you guys yes. are Yes. Uh, yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Well, look, um, I mean, I, I, had a chance, I didn't get a chance to watch you playing the game much. I hope you had a good time with it. Yeah, it was, I just like rammed a bunch of stuff and uh, <laughs> explored a little bit. Oh well, that's our that's that's our two I, pillars right there. I'm gonna I'm gonna fire it up. I've got about you know 20 minutes before I have to go you know, pick up the little one, but I'm gonna fire it up and play for a little bit myself because it is, it's um, it's a fun game. That's the bottom yeah. line. So, oh. all right, we're gonna roll. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yes, yeah, thank you thank so you. much. All right, thanks to all of our folks out there on Steam. We appreciate you watching, and you know where to find us. So. That's it. That's all I got. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.